Hey, before we start, um, I'm at the age now, if I don't do it while I'm thinking about it, there's about a 90% chance I'll forget. So something's on my mind right now, and so let's do it now so I don't forget, because it's super important. Uh, one of our church members uh, named Chris Adams uh, had a, a very uh, severe accident where he was electrocuted. It's amazing, honestly, it is a miracle he's alive. Tomorrow he has a very uh, intensive uh, strategic 10-hour surgery where they're going to take some, um, some skin off of his leg and put it on his elbow. And so it is, uh, and they're going to, under a microscope, connect nerve endings. So I suspect that Chris, I know Lindsay's here today, I, I suspect that he would appreciate all of us joining our hearts together and praying for him. So if you don't mind, let's take just a couple of minutes and I'm going to pray for him and ask that those doctors and anesthesiologists, I mean, just think about that. If that were any of us, we'd want uh, our church family to pray for us. So let's pray for him. Father, I pray a blessing on Chris right now for uh, the surgery tomorrow. I pray that you would, and ask that you would uh, be great uh, in the room with those surgeons and anesthesiologists, and nurses, and everyone who will attend to him tomorrow, I pray that they will be on top of their game. We pray for Chris's body. We first and foremost to give you praise for his life, that he survived that, that accident, which really uh, is kind of it's a miracle that he's alive. Thank you for that. We pray for his healing, that it would be complete, that it would be quick, that it would be uh, whole, give him uh, patience during recovery. Lord, I pray for his body right now that you would heal him in a powerful way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I wrote myself a note. That means nothing. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're my age, it doesn't mean a thing. Okay, so we have a lot of guests today. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm going to start with something that I don't usually do. Um, uh, let me bring you up to speed. So my wife is Swiss. Um, my daughter, Mallory, our second daughter, uh, moved to Switzerland nine months ago with her, her husband, Jefferson. And so a couple of weeks ago, Miriam, my wife and I, and uh, Elise, our 16-year-old daughter, went there to visit. And so I'm going to show you some pictures of Switzerland, mostly because somebody asked about it. Hey, you want to see, will you show us some pictures? So uh, the whole sermon today is what I did on summer vacation. Uh, that, that is the sermon, not really. But I did want to show you a couple of pictures because um, I, I can tie it into the message and I think it will make sense. This is... Um, we had dinner at, a, at here, uh, which was pretty awesome. We had dri driven up a pass, and it was a, um, a one-lane pass with traffic in both directions. So uh, it was super fun, and uh, got to the top, and then, then when we got down, I was ready to eat. Um, much of Switzerland looks like this. Uh, lots of wildflowers, and it's kind of boring. Uh, wildflowers and mountains, I mean, whoop de doo uh, this is the pulpit that I want for our church uh, here. Because I could preach in that, I can tell you. Here, i got a, a table. I mean, really, it's kind of, it, let's just be honest, cheap, uh, awesome, awesome. 
We went to one church in, um, we, Americans would call it Burn. my wife who speaks, she's so good, she just can speak the language, she calls it Bern. But in Bern, uh, where we went to a church, the, the foundation stones were laid in 1334. The church was completed 300 years later. Getting my mind around, somebody laid the foundation stones and six generations later finished it's kind of remarkable, but that's what you see a lot of, you know, really, really old buildings. It's kind of cool to go into a building that's older than the United States. We traveled by rail uh, a few times. They are precise. Everything is precise. If it says it's going to be there at 7-Eleven, it's there at 7-Eleven. If it says it's going to leave at 7-12, you better be there before 7-12 because uh, the train system, the, the buses, uh, the, the, tr the traveling there is easy, but it's not cheap. Uh, but it's easy because they have trains and trolleys and buses that pretty much go every place, even obscure places. So, pretty cool. Um, all right, so we went on a hike. This is a cheese vending machine. <laughs> yeah, I didn't spend a dime because I don't like cheese. It has, I'm not lying, it had, it had cheese, salami, bread, and wine. Everything you need for a nice hike, uh, all in that vending machine. I had never seen anything like it, a cheese vending machine. I've got one more. Most everything looked like this. Uh, just, it just kind of looks like this every place. You go places, it's like, oh man, this just looks like this. Now, I tell you that mostly because I'm, I want to brag on my daughter Mallory just a little bit and her husband... They are in their late 20s, they don't have kids, and they just sort of determined, okay, we want to go live in a different culture than our own and see if we can make our way. We're so proud of them. I'm envious, honestly. I wish I had been that, uh, that eager when I was that age. But they both have jobs. My, my daughter works for a, a company called Odlo. They make, they're a, uh, I think they're a, a Norwegian company that makes... Um, sporting uh, equipment and uh, clothing, actually, for people who hike or bike or that kind of outdoors equipment. My son-in-law works for Swiss Air at the Zurich airport. And so they're, they're making their way. They're learning the language. Uh, Mallory's really good at that, by the way. And so they, they determined that it was time to do something different. So today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to look at a guy. We're, the backstory is a dude who was told to go someplace different. So we'll get there in just a second. We all have life-defining moments that we have uh, moments, decisions that define our lives. Life-defining decisions. Now, some of them are easy to understand. Who I'm going to marry is certainly a life-defining decision. That that just changes the trajectory of everything. Uh, what I'm going to do as a, a, a profession. Uh, you, I've got my phone in my pocket. Time out. I don't know why I have that, but it's bothering me. Sorry. Uh, when you're ADD, that's ha that just happens. So thank you for your patience. Um, decisions like, okay, my 16-year-old my will be a senior this year, and she's trying to figure out where to go to college and what she'll do with her life. And I remember somebody, when I was, when I was 17, when I went to college my first semester, uh, people would ask me, what do you want to do? And my, uh, my calling, I thought, was to be a cameraman for ESPN. Uh, so, uh, and, but I got to be pastor. So uh, almost as exciting. It's kind of the same excitement level. 
So we don't always know where our decisions are going to lead us. And, and so today we're talking about a guy named Abram who did what God wanted him to do. And then we're going to talk about his nephew whose name was Lot. And so today's title of the message is Lots and Lots of Lots Knots. Uh, inspired by Dr. Seuss, obviously. If I had this to redo, I would say lots and lots of whatnots from Lot. And so it could be anything like that. But Lot made a lot <laughs> of really bad decisions. And in life, you can learn from positive examples or negative examples. And so we're going to look at this negative example. You, you do it all the time. Uh, you, you're, you're driving, and you see somebody texting while they're driving, and you determine, by the way they drive, you say to yourself, I'm never going to do that. You, you're looking at somebody who's doing something negative, and you decide, I'm not going to do that. Or somebody, you know, they're putting on their makeup while they're driving or they're shaving while they're driving. You're not going to do that because you say, okay, I don't like the risk compared to the reward. Or you have somebody in, and they're going to take a selfie uh, over the, the abyss, you know, and it's like, that's dumb because if, if they drop their phone, they're never going to get it back. And so there's something that says, okay, well, I don't want to do that. Sometimes you live a negative experience and you share it with others. I'm going to give you one. Never eat 12 White Castle hamburgers at midnight. Don't do that. It's really not good for you. So Not good for the people around you. Don't do that. Really not good. So we can learn from positive examples. We can learn from negative examples. So lot is sort of a a cautionary tale of what not to do when you're making life-defining decisions. But let's get our, um, let's get it set up, okay? So we're going to set this up. So we're going to start in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, by the way, Abram means exalted father. He later get, uh, becomes known as Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And so God makes him some promises. We're going to see that. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. So what he is saying, God is saying to Abram is, I need you to leave what you know, which is comfortable. Most of us are comfortable where we live because we know stuff. We know where the Walmart is. You know, we know our doctor. We know how to get our medicine. We know where to get gas. When you live at a place long enough, you know things. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but when we went, we moved to Michigan and we went into, you know, where do you go when you move to a new place? The first place that feels comfortable is Walmart. And so I went to the Walmart in Michigan. We had moved from Kentucky to Michigan. And, and so I walk into the Walmart and I say to the guy there, uh, I say, I need a buggy. And he said, What? I thought, well, he's, he's asleep, you know, he's young. I need a buggy. He said, you need a what? I slowed it down. I need a buggy. Like regular people talk. And so he said, oh, do you mean a cart? Well, no, I mean a buggy. But if you got a cart, I'll take it. So you go someplace where you're familiar. You, you go to the familiar all right, so God is saying to Abram, I need you to not go to the familiar. I want you to go someplace new, and if you do, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And he does. And Abram 
becomes wildly prosperous. Uh, he, he's kind of the Bill Gates, the Jeff Bezos of his day. He is extremely wealthy. But more than that, Abram is a guy who listens to God and does what God wants him to do. Nobody has ever explained to me in a, in a way that I understand why God said to Abram, you're going to be the one through whom I'm going to bless all nations. You're going to be like the, the founder of Israel. You're going to be the Jewish people. I'm going to start with you. I don't know why he chose Abram, but perhaps some of this is a clue. Because the next verse says, Abram went. God said it. Abram did it. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. We're introduced to a cat named Lot here. Lot was Abram's nephew. He was orphaned. And I've always thought about Lot as a young man, but I'm not sure that's true. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for this country called Haran or Haran. Okay, so in my mind, I'd always, you know, when I think of orphans, I think of children. And maybe Lot came to, uh, to Abram when he was little, likely. But by now, when Abram is 75 years old, if I have 75-year-old uncles, I'm likely 40, 50. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a kid. So when I was looking at this story, I had to kind of rethink, all right, so maybe Lot wasn't young. The reason you think I, th I believed Lot was young was because he makes youthful, bad decisions. He makes a lot of bad decisions. But maybe that's not the case. Now, something really interesting to me is that Abram leaves the known when he's 75 years old. I mean, the dude is, he's already drawing Social Security. He's wearing trifocals. He's in Depends. I mean, you know, uh, he is, he's, he's, out, he's down there a ways. I don't know about the Depends. It's not in Scripture. I'm making that up. I, I don't even know that's true. But he's, he's down the road a bit. And yet it teaches us it's never too late to follow God's plan. And, and some of us are like, well, I'm too old to do this. and I'm too old to do that. Well, not really. All right, so let's go on. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock, in silver, and gold. He had a diversified portfolio. He didn't put all his eggs in one basket. He is ready to, to, to go with lots of different angles here. And from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to a place called Bethel. Now, Bethel is an interesting word. Beth always means, if you see a word that says Beth, Beth means house of. El is the beginning of El Shaddai, the, the, God's name. So the house of God. He leaves one place and he goes to the house of God, to the region where God is. And Lot tags along. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Evidently, Lot watched Abram in his business dealings, and he emulated that, and he uh, uh, had uh, equal success. And, and so, I mean, that happens today. If you know a, a stockbroker, he'll say, these are the stocks uh, I'm investing in, and, and then people will tag along and do the same thing. Well, that's kind of what happened with Lot. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. So these two, here's the story. These two Fortune 500 companies move into a region with limited supply. 
And so you have herds that need grazing, you have herds that need watering, and when there's just so much grass, and when there's just so much water, then there's conflict. And it says, and quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. So the herdsmen start to quarrel. I like that it doesn't say they argued. Abram and Lot still got along. But the guys who are commissioned to make sure everything runs properly, um, they had arguments. And that makes sense. Abram is so, I mean, he's, he's so in charge, he has people in, in charge of other things, right? He's, he's like the CEO. And so his employees are now in conflict with Lot's employees because they don't have enough. Now, in most families, maybe in every family, there are seasons of conflict, and this is a season of conflict between uh, an uncle and a nephew, two men who have great wealth, and now they find themselves in, in, in a pickle. So, because Abram is wise, he's godly, he's older, he makes an offer. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herds and my herds, uh, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. And I giggled just a little bit at this, because maybe Abram was tired of Lot. You know, maybe it's like, good grief, Lot, get away from me. And so where you and I, would, we would redneck it up and say, dude, it's about time for you to leave. Uh, Abram was very kind in this. Hey, there's lots of land. Uh, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You get to choose. Super important. Abram is the elder here. He's the one in authority. He actually had the right to say, Lot, this is mine. You need to go find your own way. It, it, was, it was his prerogative to do that. It was his right to do that. In that society, they uh, demurred to uh, the elder statesman. And so Lot really should have said, oh, no, 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 you're... You know, you saved me. Uh, when I was an orphan, you took me in. Uh, you taught me everything I know. If, if there's anybody that should choose, it should be you. It's not what happened. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord. Literally, it says, like East Tennessee. Uh, that, that's what the Hebrew literally means. Just like East Tennessee. You're never going to get another one from me. Anybody, all you, all you Tennessee people. So, it, it's... Just to be honest, when, when Lot looks around, it's not like he has a bad choice. Everything is good. It's like going to a restaurant and they say, do you want pot roast or fried chicken? <laughs> like, yes. I mean, they're both good options. But Lot looks around... And he chooses, and this is where he begins to make bad choices. So we're going to learn from some of the bad choices he makes. The first one is, the obvious choice isn't always the best choice. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. So he makes... This 
choice. Now, I want you to notice a couple things. Lot chose for himself the whole plane. <laughs> he, he didn't have to pick the whole plane. I, I think he could have said, Uncle Lot, uh, Uncle Abram, uh, Uncle Abe, uh, I think I'll take some of this plane, but you take some. This is just like when your wife says, would you like the last piece of cake? And guys, I'm going to let... Uh, when your wife says, would you like the last piece of cake, what should you say? Yes. No. <laughs> oh. Okay, so the marriage uh, series will start next week. <laughs> you should say, you should say, would you, I'll, I'll take it if you don't want it, or can we split it? You should know this. Okay, so Lot took it all. This is like eating the whole bag of Oreos. I mean, he doesn't leave any Oreos for Uncle Abe. He, he just takes everything. He does what's best for his family. He does what's best for his cattle. He does what's best for him. And in the process, I'm not a fisherman. I don't know much about fishing, but I do know this. You have a lure that's attractive to a fish, and inside the lure, there's a hook. That's how you catch fish. Now, I, I grew up in Kentucky. You know, we'd put you know, a piece of hot dog on a, on a line and throw it out there, or a worm, or whatever. And, and I know some of you are sophisticated fishermen, but it all kind of works the same, I believe. There's a lure that's supposed to be attractive to a fish, and there's a hook inside. All right, so the plains of uh, the Jordan, they were attractive, but there was a hook inside. And I don't know if Lot wasn't wise enough or just didn't care, but it says about Sodom, now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. This was the original sin city. And let's notice one more thing. This is super important. Abram lived in the land of Canaan. Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent, watch the word, near Sodom. He didn't move in. He just moved toward. And there is a life lesson that we probably, it sort of begs the question, what are you moving toward? Where are you pitching your tents toward? Because you don't have to move in. And sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm just flirting. When you play with fire, you most often get burned. Well, I'm not looking at anything too bad on the internet. Okay, well today, maybe that's true. But one thing... We don't typically just dive into the 10-foot side of, of sin. We wade in. We get in the kiddie pool. And then we, we ease in, and it gets deeper and deeper. And we start with something that's innocuous. It's not, not so bad. We get in out here. But then there's an attraction to the deep end. That's where the fun is. That's where it's exciting. And so we start easing toward Sin. He didn't move in to Sodom. He just moved near. He just got close. 
But here's a truth that you need to understand. Whatever you're moving toward is likely where you're going to end up. And here you have Lot. And like most parents, you, you have, <laughs> as a parent, you, you have a, a task. You have a, a responsibility with your kids. When they're infants and toddlers and, and preschoolers and, and then when they're uh, adolescents, you teach them things. You teach them right from wrong. You teach them consequences. You teach them to be honest. You teach them to be respectful. You teach them to eat their, uh, all their food. You, know? uh, you teach them that if they do their chores, they get a reward. They get a, an allowance. You teach them there are consequences to bad behavior. You, you, when they get to be 16 you, or 15, you teach them how to drive. You're always constantly teaching. But there's a moment when you cut the apron strings, and then they have to make a decision on their own. And you're hoping that they make a good decision. And Abram had poured his life into Lot, and he had given him instruction and direction, and he had hoped that when Lot had a decision to make, he would choose the right thing. But he didn't choose the right thing. He, he chose the selfish thing. And we talk about this a lot. Play the movie forward. It's like playing chess. If I move my pawn here, what happens on the whole board? When you play chess, you don't play just your pieces. You have to think about, okay, what's the next move? What's the next, what's the next thing that happens? If I just focus on this little piece here... I miss the game. If I just focus on my decision now, well, what, where does it take me? And so you have this guy named Lot, and he makes this decision, and he moves toward a place that is notoriously wicked. Uh, the way that the last verse read, that 13-13 uh, read, Genesis 13-13, it was... It was wicked and kind of, it's kind of implied everybody knows it. It's a bad place and everyone knows it's bad. You, you all, there, there are places you won't go, right? We, we all know places in, in, intuitively, instinctively, or maybe by reputation that we say to ourselves, I don't want to be there when that's going on. I'm not going to Daytona Beach uh, when it's college weekend or whatever. I'm not doing that. I'm not going. Where's that, where's that big motorcycle thing? Where's that? Sturgis. Sturgis. Not going. I'm not going to go. Have you been there, Michael? You look like you've been there. Uh, I'm just uh, <laughs> on your bucket list. <laughs> I'm not going to go. There are certain things that I just, I'm just not going to do, right? Um, all right, so... Here you have a guy, he makes a decision. There was a lot of good to that decision for him, but there was the hook. He either ignored the hook, or he basically said, I don't care. Which leads me to the second thing. Selfish decisions are almost always bad decisions. There are times, let me qualify this, there are times where you have to take a moment for yourself and just collect. It's okay. It's not always bad. That's why I said Almost always bad. 
But some people call this the 2-3-4 principle, the Philippians 2-3-4. and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And we should be asking questions like using filters. If I do this, how does it affect my family? If I do this, how does it affect my spouse? If I do this, how does this affect where I work? If I do this, how does it affect my community? How does it affect my church? We, we don't live in isolation. What we do affects other people. And, and so we have to ask the question, what do I need to do uh, that's positive for everybody? Not just selfishly, but for everyone. It, it's, it reminds me of that old story, and you all know this story about the two guys that are camping and this bear uh, comes up on him. By the way, I had a bear in my backyard today. A bear in my backyard. Yeah, I sent Miriam out to uh, run him off. <laughs> I had to preach. So, you know, brother's got to do what he's got to do. You know what I'm saying? It's that old story about, you know, there's a bear that shows up, and these two guys are camping, and one guy takes the time to tie his running shoes on, and the other guy says, you can't outrun a bear. And he goes, I don't have to outrun a bear. I just have to outrun you. Well, that's, that's this. And so Lot is saying, okay, okay, I'm going to do what's best for me. So he, he takes the best, and there's a hook. And as my daddy used to tell me at least 10,000 times in my life, bad company corrupts good character. If I had a tattoo, and I don't, I would have the Hebrew of that because my daddy said that to me all the time. Could, be, could have been because of who I was hanging out with. I, I don't exactly know. But look what happens. All right. Let me set this text up. Abram is close to God, and God says to Abram, Dude, the wickedness of Sodom is so great, I am going to wipe them out. I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take care of it. And Genesis 18 is this really interesting text where Abram negotiates with God. And Abram's like, well, okay, but what if there are righteous people there? Are you going to wipe it out even if there are righteous people there? And God's like, well, okay, let's talk about it. And, and Abram is like, okay, what if there are 50 righteous people? And God's like, well, probably not. And then, so Abram sort of knows the reputation of Sodom, and he goes, okay, okay, okay. You, you committed to 50, what about 45? And then he keeps going down. What, what about 25? Well, what about 10? If there are 10 righteous people, would you destroy it for, if there were 10? And God's like, no. If there are 10, well, there weren't 10, which is crazy. But, but God negotiates uh, with, with Abram. And so... I, in my mind, the way I read that story, it's almost like Abram is taking care of Lot, and he, he says to God, basically says to God, you know Lot's there. You can't wipe them out because Lot's there. So God sends a couple of angels to warn Lot that something bad is going to happen. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway Wait a minute. He moved near. Now he's 
in. Some scholars believe he's the mayor of. Because sitting in the gateway was where you sat. That was the, the, the seat of authority. You see how it works? You, you get close. You, you get to the edge. I'm going to see how far I can go on the edge. Before you know it, you're off the edge. It's just an interesting text. Lot was now sitting in the gateway of the city, and when he saw these angels, he, he got up to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. You move near. Next thing you know, you're in. So, Lot says, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night, and then you can go on your way early in the morning. <laughs> He's like, you don't want to stay here. Come on. Come to my house. I have an Airbnb. Uh, I have high ratings. You, know. uh, you can come. You can wash up, spend the night, be on your way. Uh, this is really telling, isn't it? He was basically saying, you, you don't want to stay here. This is not the place for you. What he says. And the angels say, no, we'll spend the night in the square. This is very common. When you were traveling in those days, if you didn't know people in the area, you just spent the night in the town square. You'd you know, roll out your... your blanket, you get some water, maybe you buy a loaf of bread, you hung out. I've got a daughter, her name is Amaris, she's 30 years old. She bought a vehicle, she bought a Jeep, so that she can go hiking and then spend the night in the Jeep. She can lay out. And every parent in here is going, why do you let her do that? She's 30. I don't have a say in what she does. I did tell her to lock the doors. I mean, what else am I going to do? I don't know what to do. So, this was kind of the feel, right? They would go to the city. They would hang out in the square. They would uh, get some dinner. They would sleep there. They'd be on their way the next day. Lot's like, no, 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 no. You should come to my house because you don't want to spend the night out in the, in the square. Now, it reminds me of that simple illustration, you probably know this one too, about a guy who's standing on a chair and you, you get a guy on a chair and, and you discover that it's a whole lot easier to pull him off the chair than it is for him to pull somebody up onto the chair. And Lot goes from being near to being in the gate, to being at the gate in the city. And bad company corrupts good character. And I don't care how strong you are. It's really interesting to me. If this story had gone the other way, what would Abram have done? Abram wasn't perfect. If you read his life, he made some mistakes as well. But I would like to think he was a bit wiser. He, you could have, listen, you could have occupied the plains and not lived near Sodom. <laughs> The plains, that's, that's big. You don't have to be right there. It's big. You have choices. Here's what I love about God. He offers a way out when we make bad 
decisions. Now, if, if I were to ask for a show of hands, who in here has made a bad decision? Uh, most of us would have to raise our hands. And so, God sends angels to warn Lot, hey dude, this, this, is, this is about to go really bad. But there's a way out. There's a way out. And whenever you think of Sodom, you think of God's judgment. We really like God's grace and mercy. There's a side to God that's also just. We used this verse last week. It is great. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving. Remember what the word was they used for Sodom? What was it? Wicked. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And if we could quit there, oh, Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. In the New Testament, it says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But what we all need to understand is that eventually, even God's patience runs out. The greatest story ever told was by Jesus about a prodigal son. And the prodigal goes, he, he does jump into the deep end of sin, and he's far off and he's sinning. But when he comes home, when he heads toward home, the father eagerly accepts him, anxiously accepts him, gladly accepts him. God makes a way out of our sin. He is patient with us. When we think of Sodom, we certainly think of homosexuality. That's kind of the sin that is they're, they're most noted for. I don't think that's their only sin. A lot of times we pick on that sin because it's not our sin. We have our own. And so look at what happens. All the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. This is a horrible chapter in the Bible. Because it doesn't get better. As the father of daughters, what Lot does next is so perverse. I can't even read it to you. He steps outside. He calls these men friends. And he offers them his virgin daughters instead. And it appears that not only has Lot gotten into Sodom, but Sodom has gotten into Lot. These angels, they strike the men blind. They pull Lot inside. 
With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters. Remember, the bargain was if there are ten righteous people, Lot, his wife, two daughters. Couldn't even find ten. By the way, these people aren't very righteous either. Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. All right, let's take a poll. If an angel shows up at your door and says, hurry, how many of you would hurry? Okay, I mean, that should be everybody, right? When an angel says, hurry, you should hurry. That's just kind of how it works. It's crazy interesting to me that Lot doesn't hurry. So, last, last life lesson from Lot. Quick breakaways are usually better than easing out. When Lot hesitated... <laughs> It's unfathomable that this guy, the angel says, we're about to wipe you all out. You should leave now. He's like, hmm, I don't know. I've got, you know, I've got an appointment. Uh, it's kind of it's how it looks to me. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. When you rip off the band-aid, you do it fast. But Genesis 19 doesn't have a fairy tale ending. You know, it's usually, and they lived happily ever after. Not so much. Lot's wife dies as they leave. Lot and his two daughters end up in a cave in the mountains, and his daughters are more despicable than he is. It, I don't even. It's Jerry Springer on steroids. I mean, it is. Genesis 19 is hard to read. It, it just solidifies our notion that people sin. It's not like we invented it. Okay, so those are the things not to do, right? Don't do those things. What do you do? If you want to make a wise, godly decision, what do you do? Well, first you build an altar. It's super interesting, if you look at Abram's life, every time he had a life decision, a life-defining decision to make, he builds an altar, and he gets on his knees, and he prays. The Bible says, trust the Lord with all your heart, don't, don't depend on your own understanding, seek His will in all you do, and He will direct your paths. So by building an altar, that's just sim symbolic language. Have a place where you go to God and say, this is the decision that I'm facing. I need your help in guiding me now. For me, I have a chair in my, in my bedroom. That's where I sit and I pray. Sometimes, for me, it's when I'm driving. I, I, it's quiet. I can turn the radio off and I can just drive. Coming Every Sunday morning when I come in, I'm, pray, I'm in praying. Because that, for me, is a time to really focus. For you, it could be in a hammock. It could be uh, walking on a trail. I mean, there's a lot of places to have an altar, but there needs to be a time in your life where you have somebody, uh, some place where you can get along with God and just ask Him the questions. Where, what do you want me to do? The other thing is you build, a, you build a team, you build a board. Everybody needs some advisors. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many counselors bring success. Now, it's really important to understand something. Not all advice is good advice. I'm not talking about just ask somebody or just ask Oprah. I'm not talking about that. 
I had a friend whose dad, <laughs> she was learning to drive, and, and he said to her, well, if you weave, people won't get very close to you. That was his driving advice. It's not good advice. Not all advice is good advice. I read this one. Chris Davis of Saginaw, Michigan writes, when I was a Boy Scout, we went, to, we went camping. My scout leader said to just use leaves, you know. He said, I chose poison ivy. Uh, that All advice is not good advice. It's just really important to understand that. So you build a team, people that will give you godly advice. Everybody needs some people that will counsel them. They'll give them godly advice. Here at our church, we have elders. These are men who, are, uh, who are, have distinguished themselves as people who are wise, biblically. They offer advice. I personally have friends who help me make decisions. My wife helps me make decisions. My dad always helped me make decisions. I miss him. He, he was my go-to. The two things I knew about my dad that were true that you really should look for in finding wise counsel, godly counsel. He had a track record of godly living. He was generous. He was kind. He wasn't perfect. But, I mean, he, he, was, he did a lot of things that I, I, I saw him. I observed him in my life. He, he had a track record of godly living, and I never questioned if he had my best interest at heart. I never felt like he had an ulterior motive in, uh, in advising me of anything. He wasn't always right, by the way. But he always had my best interest at heart. He would tell me stuff, and I would consider it, and I'm like, I don't think we have to do that. Do you notice about Lot... It says nothing about him praying. It says nothing about him asking uh, Uncle Abe what to do. The two things that are most important in making godly decisions, prayer and, and godly advice, he had opportunity to do both and he did neither. And that's why he makes bad decisions. So I'm going to pray for us. That we would be people who are wise enough, godly enough, to talk to God and to talk to wise, godly people when we're ready to make life-defining decisions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my friends in this room. I pray blessings on them. That you would guide us. Lord, you know, we know you want to help us, so I pray that we'll be willing to seek your your. Your guidance whenever we need to make big decisions, even small decisions. Put around us people who are godly, who will help us, who have our best interest at heart. We're thankful for... Lord, I'm thankful that I don't have to do to make all the mistakes that somebody else makes in order to learn from them. Thank you for including the story of lots so that we don't have to do the things He did. We love you. Help us to follow you closely. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.